Good morning. Hey, uh, it is time. Actually, you know what, kids, before you go, can I show you a quick video clip? This morning we are talking about roller coasters. How many people like roller coasters? How many people are like, never, I don't ever want to be on a roller coaster? Let me show you how roller coasters begin for a lot of people. Watch this kid riding a roller coaster. Look how happy she is. Children's Church. Have a great time. Welcome. We're glad you're worshiping with us today. If you're out in the gym, hello to the gym. If you are out in the uh, chapel, welcome. We're glad you're here at the chapel worshiping with us together. This morning we are going to talk about the roller coaster, kind of the roller coaster of life. And for some of us it starts that way, but for some of us it's a little more terrifying. Watch this roller coaster ride. clip I came across this week. Oh, look at her. Oh, she's going to die. My favorite one is this next one. This next one is a guy, I don't know where he's from. Getting nervous. <laughs> Wait for it. They're almost to the top. Here we go. Here we go. Wait, wait. And he's out. He's out. Wait, wait. But he wakes back up. And he's terrified again. And he's out again. I so would want him right next to that guy. Watch this. Every time they're waking him up, he wakes back up. And he's out again. <laughs> Completely out. Oh, that's my favorite video clip of all time. I love you, keep trying to wake him up. He's out cold for the rest of the roller coaster ride. Oh, and he's out again. And they... Wait, wait for the very end when he gets to the... 
station. They're like, you're all right, man. Hey, you're okay. Hey, you're okay. Wait, 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 wait stop. Hey, get you. Should I out behind? Oh yeah. I'm all good. All good. I don't know what. What is your favorite roller coaster? Share with somebody next to you your favorite roller coaster. Who's your favorite roller coaster? Yell some out. Top Gun. I'm going to talk about Top Gun in a second. Anybody else? Roller coasters? My favorite is the Giant Dipper at the Santa Cruz Beach Boardwalk. How many people? Yeah. There is nothing better than a roller coaster that's over 100 years old, made of wood, and while you're riding it, it's creaking and groaning and bolts are loosening. You know what I'm talking about? Like, like you are sure you are just one broken timber piece away from a tragedy. That is what I love about it. The reason that I'm thinking about this this morning is I've been thinking about the roller coaster and how it relates to life. And you're going to see in our passage this morning this roller coaster that we go on. Uh, if you are going to live life for God, if you are going to walk this faith the way that it was meant to be walked, you're going on a roller coaster. I guarantee you are going to go on a roller coaster ride. It reminds me of a story that a friend of mine told. He had a guy in his church who uh, had two prosthetic legs, the kind you could walk on. So he had these two prosthetic legs, and they went to uh, Great America out there in Milpitas. I grew up in that area. And they went on the Top Gun roller coaster. If you've never been on a Top Gun roller coaster, uh, they basically drop the bottom out from under you, and your legs sort of dangle. And at the same time, there's somebody on the opposite side looking straight at you. So this guy gets on the roller coaster. He's got a nine-year-old girl sitting across from him. The roller coaster starts up, and as they're going into their loops and turns, his legs are starting to flop around a bit, right? And the little girl is like, what is happening right now, you know? And the legs are flopping around. Well, when they hit the loop, his prosthetic legs both went like this around his legs, around his head. And the little girl looking at him was like... That is the roller coaster of life, right? And so this morning, as we look at the book of Acts, I'm going to tell you a story from the book of Acts, and you're going to see the roller coaster that Paul and Barnabas are on this morning. It reminds me of the roller coaster of life we live. And every roller coaster, if you've got notes, follow along with me. Every roller coaster starts what? It starts up, right? It starts on the up. Acts 14.1 says it this way. We're working through Acts chapter 14. We're going to do the whole chapter today. The same thing happened in Iconium. Who? Paul and Barnabas went to the Jewish synagogue and preached with such power that a great number of both Jews and Greeks became believers. Now, some of you are saying the same thing happened in Iconium. What's the same thing? Well, let me back up just a second because if you weren't here last week, we are dead smack in the middle of Paul and Barnabas' first missionary journey. And I would love to recap that for you, but if I try and do it verbally, it's going to be boring. So I'm going to let the Bible Project guys do it for me. Take a look at this. During the first century, most people around the Mediterranean Sea lived in densely packed cities, all ruled by the Roman Empire. Each city was a diverse blend of cultures, ethnicities, and religions. And because of this, there were all sorts of temples for offering sacrifices to all sorts of gods, and each person had their own portfolio of gods that they gave their allegiance to. But in every city, you'd also find a minority group who wouldn't worship any gods but their own, the Israelites, also known as the Jews. 
They claimed that their god was the one true creator and king of the world. Now, all these cities were connected by a network of roads built by the Roman Empire, and so it was easy to move around, to do business, and even spread new ideas. Now, one person familiar with these roads was the Apostle Paul. He spent the second half of his life traveling from city to city, announcing that Israel's God had appointed a new king over the nations. This king wasn't like anyone who'd come before. Right. Most kings rule with aggression or power, but this new king rules with self-sacrifice and love. His name is Jesus, and Paul is his herald, who's inviting all people to live under this king's rule. The stories of Paul's travels and how people received this message, that's what the third part of Acts is all about. For some time, Paul's home base had been in the city of Antioch. And from there, he and his co-workers went out on three road trips, traveling by land and by sea to strategic cities throughout the empire. In each city, Paul's custom was to go first to the Jewish synagogue where his people gathered. He'd start teaching and showing how the Messianic king promised in the Hebrew scriptures is Jesus of Nazareth. And some believed this news. Others didn't. And still others thought this message was so misleading and dangerous, they would incite riots to kick Paul out of town. And so that's when Paul would take to the bustling city marketplace. He would set up shop there to make and sell leather tents to cover his travel expenses. And here, Paul kept sharing the news about the risen King Jesus with anybody who would listen. He was often misunderstood as just promoting a new God. One time he prayed for a sick person, they were healed, and everyone around thought he must be a Greek God that came down to visit them. But Paul insisted there's only one true God, and he was his servant. This message often stirred up opposition and more riots, and he got beaten, even thrown in jail. Why such a strong reaction? Well, the worship of the gods held together Roman culture. They believed the gods kept their city safe, and the temple worship of the gods was a huge part of their economy. Paul wasn't just adding Jesus as a new god to the list. He was saying all other gods are powerless, even a sham. So he's undermining their way of life. Yes, and more than that. When Paul announced Jesus as a new king, he would call him Lord or Son of God, the very titles people used to refer to the emperor of Rome. So Paul's message could easily be heard as a threat against the entire political order. Why would anyone join this movement? I mean, it sounds dangerous. Well, people were captivated by the story of Jesus and how his love created communities where all people were treated as equals, regardless of ethnicity, gender, or economic status. These people formed new families that would eat together. They lived sacrificially and took care of their poor. They lived like Jesus actually was the king. Right. And so in every city where Paul announced the message about Jesus, people were being transformed by God's spirit to become new kinds of humans. So Paul would stay in that city and teach them the way of Jesus. And then he would leave for a new city. This was a difficult life. Paul had to endure a lot of pain and a lot of suffering. Yeah, and he did so because he believed that his own hardships were a reenactment of Jesus' suffering and death for others. He said it was God's own love that drove him to share the story of Jesus no matter the cost. So that's the story and the pattern with which these missionary journeys happen. Let me go to a map here of Paul and Barnabas' first missionary journey. They left from Antioch and they moved to a port town called Cilicia. And from Cilicia, they traveled over to the, the island of Cyprus. 
and then across back over into what is now present-day Turkey. Or what I like to call this map is Glen Barnes' sabbatical journey while I have to stay here and work. Okay, I'm not bitter or angry or anything like that, but they end up in a town of Antioch. And then they moved to Iconium, which is where we pick up the story today, where I said the same thing happened in Iconium. Now, the interesting thing is, is they made converts along the way, many converts, right? And it says the word of the Lord spread throughout the whole region. But as he said in the video, Jews would be stirred up as opposition, even some of the Gentiles, and they would push these guys out of each city and they would move on to the next city. In fact, it said at the end of last week that they would, when they were pushed out of a city, they shook the dust from their feet. That meant, you don't want us? You don't want me talking about this, Jesus? Well, then I'm out of here and I'm not even taking the dust from your roads with me. I'm going to shake the dust from my feet. And they left. They're out of there, right? And in Iconium, they did exactly what they had done every other place. They went to the synagogue and they preached the good news. Now, in the NIV, they use an interesting term that I liked better than the NLT here. It says, at Iconium, Paul and Barnabas went what? They went as usual into the Jewish synagogue, right? And here's the thing. If you have a formula that works, don't mess with the formula. If it ain't broke, don't. Don't fix it. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. They had this pattern. They would go into the Jewish synagogue. They would go to the people. They would tell them the good news. And, and one of the things, the first thing that I think about, especially for a church, especially for us as believers, is we can never stop going to the people. Some churches, they think, well, the idea is to get them to come. How can we get them to come? And Paul never subscribed to that. He was always going. This church has a strong missions presence around the world and, and locally, and, and we have always got to be church that goes. Any church that says, well, we'll just get a good website, and we'll just build a big building, and put a sign on the road, and, and then post on social media, and hopefully they'll come, you, they've lost it. Like, we have got to be the kind of people who go to the people that are hurting, right? We've never got to forget, we got to never forget to be a going church. And so Paul and Barnabas go to the next town and to the next country and they just keep going and going and going. Listen, this, this may sound, you, do you know being a Christian is not hard? It is not rocket science, people. Like it is, it is super easy to be a Christian. Let me tell you why. God made it so simple, give us two commands. Love God, love people, that's it. Love God, Love people. If you're doing that, you're doing the will of God. You say, well, what people do I love? Well, you love the people closest to you, the people in your family, the people around you. Then you love your neighbors, which is the people that live in this area, around us, on our streets. They're in our schools and at your workplace. But then it even says to love your enemies. And those are the people that you disagree with that live near us. Those are the people that live uh, around us and have viewpoints that are different than ours. We love them as well. That is the end of the story in terms of being a, a, a Christ follower. That's what it means. And so Paul and Barnabas would go into town and they would start on and up because it says they preached with great power and a great number of people believed. It's a revival every time they step foot into town. And all roller coasters have to start on and up. Because you need the up in order to get the momentum to go down and to make the turns and to hit the loops and the dips. But anyone who's ever been on a roller coaster knows what happens next, right? You have a down. You're going to have a down. And watch what happens to Paul and Barnabas. I'm just sort of preaching through this story, and uh, hopefully you'll stick, along, stick with me here. It says, some of the Jews 
however, spurned God's message. And what else? They poisoned the minds of the Gentiles against Paul and Barnabas. But the apostles, what did they do? They stayed there a long time. What did they do? Preaching boldly about the grace of the Lord. And the Lord proved their message was true by giving them power to do what? Miraculous signs and wonders. But the people of the town were divided in their opinion about them. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. Then a what? A mob of Gentiles and Jews along with their leaders decided to attack and what else? Stone them. They, they stoned them. When the apostles learned of it, they fled to the region of Lycaonia in the towns of Lystra and Derbe and the surrounding areas. There they preached the good news. They just moved on and did the next thing. So Paul and Barnabas' response to being put down, right? These guys come after them. They stir up a mob. They stayed there and they continued to preach. And they had the power to do miracles. So you can just see that they're on a high. Then all of a sudden they're coming to kill them. And they're on a low. And the people are divided, right? Can you imagine a group of people witnessing miracles? They're watching the miracles happen. And then they're like, eh, I don't know. I don't think so. I think they do it with smoke and mirrors. I don't, I don't know how they do it, but I don't think it's real. I, I mean, yeah, I, I saw it, but I don't think it's real. That's what's going on. And this mob gets stirred up and ready to kill them. Talk about your ups and your downs, right? These are your ups and downs. And they arrive, and, and many believe, and then people spread lies, and then they run from this city for their lives. And, and they continue to do that over and over again. And the question that I ask is, when you hit that down portion in your life, you've been up and you're, you're headed down, how do you respond? How do you respond to being knocked down? How do you respond to when life knocks you down? Because life is going to knock you down. Can I get an amen out of anyone? Like it is going to knock you down, right? And if you don't get back up, then your education doesn't matter, your skills don't matter, your, nothing matters if you won't get back up in that moment. I was at a conference a few years ago uh, where a guy got up to speak. His name was Roger Crawford. And Roger was born without hands, and he was born without one leg. And this guy ended up playing Division I tennis. He played Division I tennis in college. His story is incredible. He's been on Nightline. He's a speaker all over the world. He wrote a book called Bounce. Take a look at this. He has a ministry around the world to people who bounce back from hard times. Tennis really changed my life. It's where I discovered the power of belief that you can change your results by, by changing your mindset. There were a lot of people that said, that's impossible. But you know what I found? Impossible is just someone's opinion. It's not a fact. When I was coaching tennis, I would always tell my players, first of all, believe execute and then achieve. That belief that we can do something is the catalyst for all of our achievement. During my tennis career, I played John McEnroe. That's the day I learned that a positive attitude doesn't work every time. <laughs> I love that. This guy wrote a book called Bounce, and the idea is when hard times hit, are you the kind of person who goes splat, or the kind of person who goes thud, or are you the kind of person that bounces? And he talks about how your faith plays into that. 
When you have a firm foundation of faith, you are ready to bounce back up. And, and that's what Paul and Barnabas did. They bounced when they got, anytime they had a bad situation, a low, and they persevered in Iconium until they were threatened, and then they had to run for their life. And they ran for their life to two nearby cities. These are the nearby cities right here. They went to Lystra, they went from Iconium to Lystra and then to Derby. And that's where they ended up in those two cities again. And when they get there, we're going to see that they are up again. They're up again. So here we go. Acts 14, 8 through 10. It says, while they were at Lystra, Paul and Barnabas came upon a man with crippled feet. And he had been that way from birth. So he had what? He had never walked. This guy had never walked. He was sitting and listening as Paul preached. Looking straight up at him, Paul realized he had what? He had the faith to be healed. So Paul called to him in a loud voice. He said, stand up. And the man jumped to his feet and started walking. He just got ran out of town. He shows up at the next town and he immediately calls out to a guy. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, this guy jumps up and begins to walk, right? He, you notice they use the same technique. As usual, Paul goes to the synagogue, starts preaching, sees the opportunity for a miracle, and by that power of the Holy Spirit, they are up again. And they began to preach, and they get right back up and get to see this miracle. But they had just been chased from another city, just been chased out of the city under the threat of being beaten to death. Are you seeing the pattern here? There's up, there's down. And, and then things get really weird because at this point, things are going to get upside down. <clears throat> Here's where things get upside down. Listen to this, and this is a little bit longer passage. Stick with me. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in their local dialect, these men are what? Gods in human form. They decided that Barnabas was the Greek god Zeus and that who? Paul was Hermes since he was the chief speaker. Now, the temple of Zeus was located just outside of the town. So the priest of the temple and the crowd brought bowls and wreaths of flowers to the town gates and they prepared to what? They're getting ready to offer sacrifices to the apostles. But when the apostle Barnabas and Paul heard what was happening, they tore their clothes in dismay and ran out among the people shouting, Friends, why are you doing this? We are merely human beings just like you. We have come to bring you the what? The good news that you should turn from these worthless things and turn to who? Turn to the living God who made heaven and earth, the sea, and everything in them. In the past, he permitted all the nations to go their own ways, but he never left them without evidence of himself and his what? Goodness. For instance, he sends you rain and good crops and gives you food and joyful hearts. But even with these words, as Paul's telling them, Paul and Barnabas could scarcely restrain the people from what? Sacrificing to them. This crowd gets the situation completely upside down. They have no idea what's going on. They exalt Paul and Barnabas as gods, right? They've gone from being run out of town as criminals to welcome to the next town as gods. Anybody else seeing the up and the down here? The insanity of this situation, right? This is upside down at this point for them. And they, and they, want, they want to bring glory and honor to the one true God, but they're being worshipped now as gods themselves. 
And the crowd totally gets this thing upside down as to who Paul and Barnabas on. Now, as I was researching for this message, I came across something that I had never heard before about this passage. I thought I would share it with you so that you could understand a little bit of why this thing happened. This was the world of the Greek gods. How many people know about Greek mythology, the Greek gods? There's Zeus and, and Athena and Hermes and, and Aphrodite, basically all the characters of Clash of the Titans. Anybody see Clash of the Titans? In the 1980s? Yeah, it was legit, right? The effects are terrible now if you watch it. But these are the Greek gods that they, were, that they uh, basically worshipped. And there is a legend that happened right here in Lystra. It's crazy to me. This happened right in Lystra. And every kid would have gone to bed at night with mom telling them the story of the time the Greek gods visited Lystra. Get this story. Here's how it works. They, it, this would have been passed down from generation to generation. Um, they, they didn't come, it was Zeus and Hermes who came to Lystra, they didn't come as gods. They came as poor travelers. They came as paupers. They came really as almost like homeless people into them. And as they walked the streets of Lystra, door after door got sh- slammed in their faith. Nobody would give them water. Nobody would give them any food. Nobody would give them any lodging. Right until they got to the far end of town. And when they got to the far end of town, they came to this little tiny farmhouse. And living in this little tiny farmhouse were a couple of really poor farmers. It was a husband and wife couple, Philemon and Bacchus. This is not the Philemon of the Bible. It's Philemon and Bacchus. This is a story from Greek mythology. And basically the story goes like this. They came to Philemon and Bacchus and this poor farming couple welcomed in these two poor strangers and gave them food and drink and lodging. And the next day, Zeus and Hermes revealed themselves as the gods that they actually were. And so they revealed themselves as the God that they actually were and they went back through the town and everyone that refused to help them, they turned into frogs. Yeah, amen. I heard an amen out of that. They turned them into frogs. But for Philemon and Bacchus, they actually turned their house into a house of gold and marble. And that house is the temple to Zeus and Hermes that, we, uh, that they talked about on the outside of town in that passage. That's the actual temple in this particular day and age. That is the story that they have been told for generations. They've been told that story. So I want you to get in the mindset of these people. Two out-of-town visitors show up. They're looking a little dusty. They're looking a little rough. In fact, they're looking like they got run out of town at the town before. And they wander into town and they start doing some powerful things and some miracles. And these, this whole town goes, wait a second, we've heard this story. We had better show them the proper respect. We had better recognize them as the gods that they are. But they weren't gods. They weren't gods. And so immediately, Paul and Barnabas, who know that the crowd doesn't have any idea what's going on, right? Instead of being seen as these humble servants, right? They're seen as gods. And the temptation must have been, can you imagine being Paul and Barnabas? You would have been like, finally, some respect, right? Give me some respect here. I'm, I'm working here for the Lord. But they don't, right? They, they immediately do exactly the right thing, right? Uh, they respond the right way. They tear their clothes and they emphatically tell the crowd, whoa, 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 we are men just like you. We are not gods. We serve the one true God, the most high God, and worship him, not us, right? 
And, and you can imagine as people were streaming down the street coming to meet Zeus and Hermes, I mean, like a procession or a parade, and they're like, guys, guys, go home, we are not gods. You can imagine things are going to take a turn, and they're going to take a downturn, and they're going to go way down, way down. Watch what happens next. They were just being worshipped as gods a moment ago. Acts 14, 19. Then some Jews arrived from Antioch and Iconium, and they what? Won the crowds to their side. And they stoned Paul and dragged him out of town thinking he was dead. Thinking he was dead. Take a look at this. The crowds came from Antioch and Iconium, and they followed them to Lystra, where they stoned them in the streets. There is a murderous crowd following Paul and Barnabas all the way back to Lystra. And that, it, by the way, that's a motivated crowd, don't you think? It's a little bit like if I went to go preach as a guest preacher in Galt, and I had an altar call, and a lot of people came forward, and then I came back to Lodi, and streaming in the back doors was a group of people who had walked from Galt. They're like, kill him. Like, that is a crazy scenario, right? They are way down at this point. Um, they had made all these converts, and then they're run out of town. They had made all these converts, and then they, were, they, they had this miracle as, they, as this guy began to walk. They made all these converts, and then they're stoned almost to death. Like, this is the up and down and up and down. If you think your life is a roller coaster, get in line. Because you're never going to guess what happens next. Yep, they are right back up again. They are right back up again. Listen to what happens. Literally, Paul gets up like Rocky Balboa in Rocky 1, 2, 3. What are we up to, 11? I don't know. But he keeps getting back up, and he just he gets back up, right? It's unbelievable. Listen to Acts 14, 20 through 22. It says, but as the believers gathered around him, he what? Got up. Got up and then what? Anybody else pause right there? What? They dragged him out to town and he went back into town. The next day he left with Barnabas for Derby. I'm trying to imagine getting up and back. They're helping Paul up. He's down. He's beaten. They're like, man, are you okay? And that looked like it hurt. And he's like, yeah, it did hurt. Hey, you guys want to get some shawarma? I'm so hungry right now. They went back into this town where they'd literally just been beaten almost to death. And it says, uh, the next day he left with Barnabas for Derby. Thank God he's got the good sense to leave. After preaching the good news in Derby, as usual, right? And making what? Many disciples. Paul and Barnabas returned. And they returned back to Lystra, where he had been beaten and stoned. And then they returned back to Iconium, where, where they had you know, formed a mob and come after him. And then they returned back to Antioch. Of, of, of Pisidia, and where they had, they had also come to stone him. And, and Paul and Barnabas went back, and they encouraged them to continue in the faith, reminding them that we must, what? Suffer many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. And you see this return trip. It's basically back to all the places that they have been uh, beaten again. They go to Derby, and then they come back to Lystra, where that happened, and then they go back to Iconium, where they had kicked him out of that town, and then they go back to Antioch, where they had kicked him out of that town, and they just keep going and going and going and going. As usual. And he just keeps doing it. He returns through all these cities. They had organized a road trip to stone him to death, and he shows back up a week later. Hey, guys. 
Maybe underline in your outlines this, because this is the verse that messes with me in this entire passage. We must suffer many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Does that line bother anybody else? I did not get taught that in Sunday school. Anybody else? But it's right there, and it messes with me. Because if anybody ever told you that being a Christian would be easy, they lied. Anybody ever told you that if you just trust God, he'll smooth out your life? They lied. If anybody uh, told you, hey, if you just pray hard enough, then your problems will go away. They lied. They lied. Hey, if you just have enough faith, you will be healed. Listen, they lied, they lied, they lied, they lied. This is a roller coaster ride you are on. And if a church or a preacher tells you those things, like, hey, if you just give X amount of dollars, God's going to give it back to you tenfold. Or if you just, if you just uh, uh, have faith, he'll heal you. Or if you just, you know, the apostles suffered greatly. Paul and Barnabas got beaten almost to death. You think Paul had enough faith? I think he did. God never promised to deliver you from all the hardships of your life. He never did. And we are promised, what we are promised is the strength from God to endure and to grow through the pain. What we are promised is a peace that passes all understanding when we are rooted in God, when the situation seems hopeless, that we can endure. Some people will say, have you ever heard somebody quote this to you? Well, God will never give you more than you can handle. Do you know that is not the quote? That is misquoted. What they say is God will never put you in a temptation that you cannot bear. God regularly will give you more than you can handle. And it's so that we turn back to him and we look to him for power. He does promise to never leave us and never forsake us. See, God will give us the strength to get back up. So now you've heard the story and that leads me to... So what, Steve? What do we do with this? How do we make sense of this? Well, let me tell you first the so what for them is they got right back on the roller coaster. They got right back on the roller coaster. Listen to the last part of the chapter here. It says it this way. Paul and Barnabas also appointed elders in every church as they're coming back through. With prayer and fasting, they turned the elders over to the care of the Lord in whom they had put their trust. Then they traveled back through Pisidia, which is a new town, to Pamphylia. They preached the word in Perga and then went down to Italia. Finally, they returned by ship to Antioch of Syria where they started, where the journey had begun. The believers there had entrusted them to the grace of God to do the work they had now completed. Upon arriving in Antioch, they called the church together and reported everything God had done through them and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles too. And they stayed there with the believers in Antioch for a long time. And you can see the road trip back looks... They went to some new places. They went to Perga. And then they went over to Italia. And then they headed back, basically, all the way back to Antioch where they began the entire journey, right? They got right back on the roller coaster. As usual, they do what they always did. From town to town, preaching the good news. So what's the so what for us? What's the so what for us? Let me ask you this question. This is the part that I've been trying to put together in my head. Where are you on this roller coaster right now? Where are you on this roller coaster of life right now, this roller coaster of faith? Are you up? Are you feeling a high? Are you feeling good about it? 
When I was a youth pastor, it was at Hume Lake, and then school started, right? And, and, and you, you have these ups and these downs, you, and, and, uh, and are you upside down right now? Are you feeling like you don't know which way is up in this moment? Well, I have three things for you that I want to share with you this morning that I hope will be helpful. And the first is this. The roller coaster is normal. The roller coaster is normal. If you are on a roller coaster, you are normal. If you are living a life of complete balance and steadiness and you never have peaks and valleys, you are one of two things. You are either a liar or you are a liar, okay? That's, That's the truth. Nobody escapes it. The roller coaster is coming for everybody. But we tend to think other people aren't going through the roller coaster the way that we're going through the roller coaster. They don't have the ups and downs like I do. It's because you're not paying attention to their life, and they're not paying attention to yours. We're all on this. Some people have more dramatic ups and downs. It's true. I agree with that. But we all go through it, and you are not alone. You are not being picked on by God. We have to normalize that if you are up, you're up. If you're down, you're down. That's part of the journey. And get this. Here's the second thing. If you're up, there's a down coming. If you're up, there's a down coming. But get this. If you are down, there is an upcoming. If you're down, there's an upcoming. God gives us these trials and challenges, and they're more than we could handle, and he gives us a break to recover and to recharge and to be encouraged, and then he usually sends another challenge, and and we're fighting it again and again. I heard this crazy podcast this week. It was a neurosurgeon, guy of faith, who was talking specifically about the way the brain works and the way that it deals with trauma, you know, neuro you know, transmitters and receptors and neurons and, and, you know, neural pathways and neuroplasticity and all these things. But the thing that was amazing about his story is his story was a story of recovery from pain too. He had had a massive down in his life. And the story he was telling was this. His son had been brutally stabbed to death. And he had gone through the grief and tragedy of losing a son, which by the way, uh, kids, if you, if you don't know this, you are, as parents, our worst fear is that we would have to go through that. That's our worst fear, okay? And this guy's son had been stabbed to death, and he told the story that on the day of his son's funeral, they were going to bury his son. His son's sister, their daughter, couldn't come to the funeral because on the very day they buried him, she had their very first grandchild. I want you to imagine the roller coaster of that day. I want you to imagine being racked with grief beyond belief and then going to the hospital to greet your very first grandchild. The pain and the hope that's happening at the exact same time. It's unbelievable. Some of you may be going through grief right now. We have a great grief share program. If you don't know about that, in fact, it's kicking off this week, I believe. And, and if you need someone to walk through this grief process, you've lost someone you love, would look into that. Find out about it on our, on our website. Jump into the grief thing. But some of you right now, you are feeling so far down. You are feeling like you are in the dip of all dips, like you can't handle much more. Let me tell you something. God has some encouragement coming for you. He will have some encouragement coming from him. He will give, when I am at my absolute breaking point, he gives me just enough break from the trials to recover and recharge and renew my faith. And he'll do that for you. If you are in that moment, pray for the strength to endure now and get closer to the Father. And the Father will bring you encouragement and peace. It's a little bit like this.
hope you get the picture of this. Sometimes when life is terrifying and when things are going out of control, that you just hold on to God. That you grip a hold of him, you hold tighter, maybe even close your eyes, because I don't know where this is headed, and it's too scary for me right now. But you would hold on to your father. You would hold on to the God of all creations, right? God says, I'm right here with you. You do not have to ride this roller coaster alone. I am right here with you. I would not have put you on this roller coaster if I wasn't going to sit in the seat right next to you. I would not have put you on this roller coaster if I didn't know that it is safe and the tracks lead back to the station and I will bring you home. Some of you need to hear that today no matter what you're going through. Hold on to the Father because the interesting thing about it is this. The only one who gets hurt on a roller coaster is the one who jumps off. The only one who gets hurt on a roller coaster is the one who jumps off. And people tend to jump off. You want to know where they jump off? They jump off at the top. There's a group of people, especially in America, that once they've got things dialed in, I've got my money, I've got my things, I've got my career, I've got everything dialed in, I don't need God anymore. I don't need God anymore. And the other place where people jump off is down at the bottom. And they think God doesn't care. All that stuff I was taught as a kid, it isn't real. It isn't true. You hold on to God. The foundation of faith, even this neurosurgeon was saying, that foundation of faith that you know that God is with you and that he will walk through this with you allows you to just hold on to God and enjoy the ride. Listen, I'm going to give you one verse as we leave. This is it, Galatians 6, 9. This verse was on the office in my wall for so many years when I was a church planter. I went through so many ups and downs. I can't even tell you. But I held on to this verse. It says, so now, so let's not get tired of doing what is good. And at just the what? Right time. We will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Father God, this morning, I know I got some friends here who are riding the roller coaster. And they maybe walked in here, God, with a lot of pain and heartache and fear and maybe even terror in their hearts for the things that are going on in their life. God, would you meet them in a special way here? Would you draw them close to you? Would you reassure them that you have them, Father, that you will walk with them through the ups and the downs of this life? God, may may we trust you in the middle of that roller coaster and and just keep riding because our temptation is to want to just get off, Father. I pray that just as we saw with Paul and Barnabas, you would walk us through the roller coaster of life. In your son Jesus' name, amen.